you so much. Turn with your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to uh, continue our study in uh, this rich book of the Bible. We're going to pick up this morning with verse 19. And read through verse 22. Won't be dealing with all of that this morning, but we're going to be reading it. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. And remember again, this is God's word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And that is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again so much for your Word, and we uh, thank you for it. We are eager uh, to hear it this morning, because we know it is your Word, given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preserved for us through the years. And now we pray that as we unfold this particular passage, that you would give us grace. That you would open our eyes to see its truth, our ears to hear its message, and our hearts to be able to receive it. And give us the grace to apply it as our needs become evident, as your Holy Spirit shows them to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I walk... uh, early every morning try to walk early every morning leave the house about 5.15 or 5.30 and when I walk I listen to a sports show and uh, when they're talking about a particular football team many times during this season of the year they'll, they'll talk about that particular team sometimes is trying to find its identity and what they mean by that is this particular team is trying to, still trying to figure out who they are. Are they, a, are they a, a, a passing team or a running team? Are they an, primarily an offensive team or a defensive team? You know, are, are they a team that uh, tries to hold their opponents to as few points as they can because they know they can't score many points themselves? Or are they a freewheeling team that just tries to outscore their opponents Uh, Regardless, trying to find their identity, who they are as a team, trying to figure out their identity. I say that because my sermon this morning is on finding your identity in Christ. And it's very important for you to understand who you are in Christ. Your walk with God will be much more fruitful. And it will be so much more of a blessing to you and to others. If you really understand who you are as a Christian, you see you find your sense of meaning, your sense of purpose, your sense of direction, and your self-esteem all from how you see yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. And knowing how you fit into God's plan of redemption and how you fit into the body of Christ. That's what we find here in these closing verses of Ephesians chapter 2. You know, been here for the last several weeks, you know, that Paul has been just hammering home the same basic truths in this chapter. And that is that we are all saved only by the sovereign grace of God. 
that we receive that salvation by faith and that all of us are saved the same way. No one can earn, deserve, or merit their salvation. We're all equal at the foot of the cross because we all come to salvation by the one sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of His people. But more than that, in this chapter, Paul has been stressing that in Christ, you and I are one unit, or we are one body. And we've seen that was particularly helpful to those in Paul's day, the Jewish believers in particular. Because there was such a divide, such a chasm between the Jews and the Gentiles. That many of the Jewish converts, many of the Jews who had come to faith in Christ, simply could not accept the fact that Gentiles came to salvation the same way they did. They thought there must be something else that the Gentiles had to do. And, and we've seen that some of the, the, the Jewish believers thought that the Gentiles ought to adhere to many of the Old Covenant Jewish rituals and rites and customs in order to have salvation. Well, Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2 that Jesus broke down whatever it was that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. And he made both groups into one. He brought them into one new man and he reconciled them into one body through the cross. So it brings us then to verse 19. And once again, it's the first two words in verse 19 that kind of tie together what Paul has been saying so far in the first 18 verses. With these truths, he now gives us about our identity in Christ. The, the two words in my particular translation, the New American Standard, are so then. So then. That is based on what Paul has just said about salvation being by grace through faith and how we're all one body in Christ. He now moves ahead to show how that impacts your identity, how you understand yourself in relationship with God through Christ. Now there are three parts, I think, to that identity that are given to us in this text. We're going to look at the first two this morning. And they're both in verse 19. So our focus is going to be primarily there this morning. We'll conclude the rest next Lord's Day. But first, uh, a part of our identity in Christ is that we are members of God's kingdom. If you are a believer this morning, your citizenship is in heaven. And you are a member of the kingdom of God. Now, now Paul states that two ways. He states it first negatively, and then he states it in a positive way. Negatively, Paul says in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, the way he puts that, it's clear, at least insinuated, but it's clear that... Before your conversion, you were an alien, and you were a stranger. That is, before our conversion, we were strangers and aliens to grace. Uh, an alien is a foreigner who is living in a country that is not his own. 
Aliens, uh, aliens are people who live here, but whose citizenship is somewhere else. Now, we hear a lot about aliens in our country today, don't we? We hear a lot about illegal aliens today. One of the big questions in our country, one of the big political questions is, what are we to do with them? Are we to send them all back to their own countries? Should we just grant them amnesty and automatically declare that they are citizens here? Or should we try to devise what has been called a pathway to citizenship, whereby they can somehow earn or achieve citizenship? Well, that's, that's the analogy that Paul is using here to describe unbelievers. They are strangers and aliens from the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that in other places in the New Testament, the Bible describes us, believers, as strangers and aliens. Once you come to, to faith in Christ, you don't quit being an, a stranger and alien. Before your conversion, you're a stranger and an alien to grace and to salvation and to the kingdom of God. When you are converted and, and brought into the kingdom, then you become a stranger and an alien to this world in which you live. And there's a real sense in which your citizenship isn't here any longer. And the more you grow in grace, the more you realize it. Because the priorities and the principles and the values of the world are so different from those of a believer. And so there's a sense in which the term is used both ways. To describe an unbeliever who's a stranger and an alien to grace, but also to describe a believer after conversion as a stranger and an alien to this world in which we live. Look what we find here in verse 19, where it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're no longer strangers and aliens, Paul says, but something has happened. Something has changed. When you were a stranger and alien, you weren't a citizen, but now you are. This is not a political statement. This is simply a spiritual reality. In God's eyes, you have been granted amnesty. God has declared you who were a stranger and an alien to grace. God has declared you to be a citizen in his kingdom. That is a wonderful and gracious act of of God, isn't it? To allow those of us who were outside to be inside. Those of us who were strangers to Him and to His grace now to be the full recipients of it. When we come to Christ, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, or as it describes it here, we become fellow citizens with the saints. Now, Jesus doesn't or Paul doesn't mention the kingdom here. But the, the reference is clear, isn't it? You're a citizen. You're a citizen of a kingdom. And you're citizens, here it says, with the saints. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You know, when Jesus came to earth, his primary focus 
was to proclaim or to preach the presence of the kingdom of heaven. Now the Jews knew something of the kingdom. After all, they were the people of God. And if you weren't a Jew, in the old covenant, well, you were really a, a stranger and an alien. And the only way to change that was to become a Jewish citizen, to become a part of the Jewish nation. And so they knew what it was to be a part of the kingdom. They knew what it was to have, have God as their king, because God ruled over them in the old covenant by means of a theocracy. And they looked forward to a fuller, greater manifestation of that kingdom to come yet someday. And so it was rather radical. When Jesus came, this itinerant preacher from Nazareth came and said, Oh, by the way, the kingdom is here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God to you. Now, what is the kingdom? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is, is the reign and the rule of God. The kingdom of God exists wherever God, God exists, where God rules and reigns. And so there's a sense, isn't there, in which this whole world is God's kingdom. Because God created it. God sovereignly, providentially directs it. We've been seeing that clearly in curious study of Romans, especially lately in Romans chapter 11. How God directs the affairs of this world that he has made, his kingdom, and he rules over it. But there's a particular sense in which God rules over the hearts of his people. That was true in the old covenant with the Jews. Now you see something different about the kingdom. The kingdom's expanded not simply to, to, from just one nation, but to all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in Him. When you become a, a citizen with the saints, that means you have entered into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven where you submit your life and your heart to the role and the reign of King. Of King Jesus. That's what it is to be a member of the kingdom. And, and that fits in so well, doesn't it, what we've seen in Ephesians chapter 2, where we were outsiders, we were dead in trespasses and sin, and yet God in His grace has now allowed us to know Him, to be participants in His kingdom, to be citizens of His kingdom as well. And so Paul is simply declaring here that we are no longer outsiders, but now we are insiders. No longer strangers and aliens. Now citizens. Full rights of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first identity. If you're a believer this morning, you are a citizen. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. You are a fellow citizen. All the same with all those who have ever trusted in the Lord Jesus. There's a second part of our identity in this passage, however. Not only are we citizens of the kingdom, we're also members of God's family. That's an even more personal identity for us, isn't it? One of the most intimate ways that God describes His people is that we are 
his household. We are his family. He is our heavenly father. And we're his children. And because of that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Here at the end of verse 19, notice what he says. And we are of God's household. Now, it's one thing to be a citizen of a country. It's another thing altogether to be a member of a family. Family ties are much stronger, so much more intimate. And that's what we have in Christ. You know, there are two ways to become a part of the family, aren't there? You're either born into it or you're adopted into it. You're either a member of a family by birth or you're a member of a family by adoption. And it's interesting in the Bible that God describes us coming into his family both ways. Both by the new birth and by adoption. You know, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. Uh, turn with me for just a few minutes to First Peter. First Peter, let's turn first to chapter 1. In verse 3, where it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be, what? Born again. Born again to a living hope. And then turn over to chapter... Um, um, Chapter, I think it's three. No, it's, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse, verse 23. Where he says this, For you've been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, you have been born again. If you flip over to the Gospel of John. One more at this point. For the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, this is right after John's account of the entrance of Jesus as the light of the world. It says this in verse, verses 12 and 13, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, what? Children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. But not only are we born into God's family, we're adopted into God's family. Go back to Ephesians and turn back to chapter 1 in verse 5, where we saw this, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. And then if you turn over to Romans chapter 8, you'll, you'll see that Paul expands that idea in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Where he says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified with Him. You see, those two avenues of, of becoming a part of God's family are not separate, but they are, they are closely linked together. It's not that some believers are born into the kingdom and others are adopted into the kingdom, but rather we're all born again and we all are adopted. Those whom God adopts, into his family, he causes them to be born again. Those whom God chooses to be his children, he brings them and gives them new life. And doesn't that point us again to the wonderful blessing of God's sovereignty over our salvation? Whether it's by the new birth or whether it's by adoption, our salvation is all of God. Which of you chose to be born into your family? <laughs> well, did it happen that one day you just realized you were? And when someone adopts a child, the child doesn't choose the family. The family chooses the child. Folks, what a rich blessing we find in just those few words where Paul says, we are a part of God's household. We are members of God's family. And we are that because he has caused us to be born again, given us new birth, and because he's chosen us and adopted us into his family. I want you to see this morning how that shows us the love of God. You see, God didn't cause you to be born again or choose you to be His child, adopt you in His family because of anything in you or about you. But, but, but if anything, He did it in spite of you. While you were still a sinner, while you were still an alien and a stranger, while you were still apart from His kingdom, God set His love on you. God adopted you. And He calls you to be born again. By His grace that He calls you His child. Allows you to be a part of His family. It's sweet, isn't it? He allows you to come to Him and cry out, Abba, Father. So if nothing else this morning, I want you to be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that God loved you and God adopted you causing you to be born again and he did that because of his love look there is nothing greater on this earth nothing more special than the love of a parent for their child many of you here today are parents and you can identify with that you know that you know my sons are grown yet I love my sons dearly I don't hide from that my sons have their own issues. They have their own problems. They, like their daddy, you know, they fall far short of the mark many times. Their dad loves them anyway. Love of God's real. The God, love of God is greater than the love of any parent for any child. And does, God doesn't love us because of who we are, what we've done, or what we've accomplished, what we've achieved. 
because of our merits, because of our deserving, God loves us simply because we're his children. He's allowed us to be born again and caused us to be adopted into his family. You know, being a part of a family has great benefits, doesn't it? Being a part of a family is really two things. Benefits and responsibility. Blessings and obligations, privileges and duties. Now I know sometimes for you children, it seems like there are a lot more duties than there are blessings. A lot more expectations than things you get from it, but I tell you it's not that way. You have so many blessings. I want you to think about your family, your children. Listen to me just a moment. So many blessings being a part of your family. You know you have security in your family because you know that your parents are going to take care of you and they're going to protect you. You know your children are going to provide for you, give you what you need. Y'all probably don't know what's for lunch. And if you do, you don't have, didn't have anything to do for preparing your parents are going to make sure you got lunch today, supper tonight, breakfast tomorrow. They're going to provide for your needs. They're going to make sure that you are taken care of physically. You know, it's a little dip in the air this morning. Fall's here. Winter's coming. It's going to get cold. Your parents are going to make sure you got heat in your house. you got a coat to wear. If you're like my sons, you won't wear your coat, but they'll make sure you have one anyway. So many blessings. Being part of a family. Why do I say that this morning? I say that because it's so easy to take the blessing for granted. And it's so easy not just to take the blessings of a, an earthly family for granted, but it's so easy to take the blessings of being a part of God's family for granted. Folks, we can't, we can't count the blessings. You know, there's an old Thanksgiving song that says, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. What do we have in these blessings in, in, in being a part of the family of God? Well, we got many of the same blessings we have in our, in our earthly families. We've got security. God watches over us and cares for us, protects us. We have provision. God provides for all of our needs, makes sure that we have what we need when we need it. We have joy that the world does not know. We have peace that passes all understanding. We have love. Love from other family members. We have the, the ministry of the body of Christ. It comes alongside us in times of need, folks. There are so many privileges. Oh, I know there are responsibilities too. It goes both ways, doesn't it? God gives us responsibilities, just like parents you have chores they expect their children to do. God wants us to, to love Him first and most. He wants us to seek Him above all else. He wants us to obey Him, worship Him, glorify Him, and to do His will. It's all part of being what Paul describes here as the household of God or God's household. One other thing I want you to 
realize here before I close. And that is something even more wonderful. Being a part of God's family doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Folks, it means that you're a child of the King. You're a child of the King. Your Heavenly Father is the King of Kings and the, and the Lord of Lords. You know, parents or children many times identify with who their father is, don't they? And what their father does. And they take pray, great pride and, and say, that is my dad. This is my dad. I'll tell you a little story years ago. I was very, very involved back in the days in, in Louisville with the school system. I actually served on the school board for a while. And I was very involved for a time in the athletic program, even before my children were, my children were little. But I was very involved in the high school athletic program. Got, got kind of over my head in it <laughs> before I knew what I was doing. And we, 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 I was deeply involved in the, in the high school athletic booster club. In, uh, it's a long story, I, I won't say, but we got, under, we got in some financial obligation because we built a new... Booster Club built a new athletic complex for the high school. And so making money was a priority. And the main way we made the money was through the concession stand, the football games, basketball games, baseball games. I spent a lot of time in the concession stand. Sometime, one, one evening, uh, uh, somebody was over for dinner, and we were just talking about things. And my youngest son was probably five or six at the time. He's he, he just kind of puffed his chest out for a minute. He said, you know, he said, my dad's president of the concession stand. <laughs> Look, your dad, your heavenly father, is the king of kings. Makes you special. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You're heir to the kingdom. See how good it is to understand your identity? Know who you are in Christ. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And you're a member of God's household. You're no longer an alien and a stranger. You're a citizen of the saints. You're God's child. And you can come to Him and cry out, Abba, Father. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for your great grace to us in Christ. You are the King of Kings. And you've allowed us to be your sons and daughters. You are the ruler and you've allowed us to be members of your kingdom. Help us to treasure it. Help us not to take the benefits for granted. And help us to serve you as your citizens and your children faithfully and well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.